Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Impact Code, where we take deep dives into the stories and journeys of impact in the lives of our guests. Today's guest is AJ Davis. AJ Davis is originally from Nashville. He grew up in the church. He was raised by a supportive mom and grandma, and he credits a lot of who he is today to his faith and to his family. One of his big mottos is that everything is figure outable. And one of the ways that I think this has shown up in AJ's life is through his academic pursuits. So AJ has a marketing and entrepreneurship degree from University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Once he finished that up, he decided to continue on in education and get a master of arts in theological studies from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And then uh, he also returned to Chattanooga in 2019 to earn his master of business administration from also University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Currently, AJ serves as the Vice President of Community Engagement at the Ronald McDonald House Charities of Greater Chattanooga. He oversees volunteerism for the organization as well as philanthropic partners with the local McDonald's owners and operators. In his free time, AJ enjoys hanging out with his friends, traveling, reading, playing skippo, being a dog uncle, hiking, and sometimes doing absolutely nothing on the couch. I really enjoyed my conversation with AJ today. He has so much wisdom and he has a really articulate way of sort of framing up the things that he sees in the world. So we had a really fun conversation and a really genuine conversation, which covers a wide variety of topics today. I think you'll enjoy it quite a bit. Before we dive into today's episode, I do want to take one quick minute to pause and just mention that today's episode is brought to you completely free by Tower Community Bank. Tower's mission is to make our communities better places to live, work, and raise a family. We see this podcast, The Impact Code, as a way to actually go out and make our communities better places to live, work, and raise a family by sharing stories from people just like you who are having a big impact in their communities. It's a way for us to reach new communities that we maybe haven't uh, reached before. And because of that, Tower pays for everything about this podcast, pays for the equipment, the hosting, the marketing. We see this as a way not just to live our mission, but to also tell more people about who we are at Tower and to share a little bit about the things that we're passionate about as well. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please go to towercommunitybank.com, check out the various products, the various different types of accounts that we have there. And if you see anything that interests you, go ahead and click to apply. It's the best way to support this show. And now, without further ado, my conversation with AJ Davis. AJ, welcome to the Impact Code, man. How are you? Hey, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good, good. Uh, we're both laughing here because I started the podcast off and literally the first thing I said was the the wrong name. So here we are now. <laughs> I now go by Andrew. Yes. Yeah, Andrew. <laughs> Andrew it is. And uh, it's hilarious because I literally just asked him, hey, what do you want to go by in the podcast? And then I used an entirely different name. Uh, but here we are, AJ. I'm so glad that you're able to make time for this today and especially in yeah. Person. It's really fun to be sitting face to face with you this morning. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I appreciate you having me. This is yeah an honor to be here. So I'm excited to dive into the conversation and see where it takes us. Yeah, me too. And I think a great place to start this morning is as we were sort of gathering information, you talked about some themes in your life. And yep. I think diving into those is going to 
really ha- help set the foundation for today's conversation. So if you wouldn't mind, let's just start there with what have the themes of your life been and, and sort of how have those helped shape you become and help you become who you are today? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So first and foremost, I would say there are two general kind of sort of scarlet threads that run through my life, but they are contextualized under my faith, right? And so for yeah. me, my faith is extremely important to me. Uh, I identify as Christian. So I'd say I love Jesus, uh, follow, try to follow Jesus, um, try to live a life full of faith and repentance. And so under that umbrella, right, what the Lord, I think, has done in my life, not only in just showing me favor and in, in, in keeping me, but there have been points where my life has been full of grief, but also points where my life has been full of compassion and empathy and love towards my fellow neighbor. Yeah. And so what I mean by that is there have been really kind of sort of two instrumental points that have defined who I am today in the sense of grief, uh, because I would argue that grief transform you, transforms you in a way that nothing else will. Yeah, I'd agree. And so I lost my father when I was 17 years old. He and I had an, an, an OK relationship. It could have been much better, could have been mu- much worse. Uh, but in the midst of all that, there were questions that I had as a 17 year old man. So I lived with my my mom for the majority of my life, but I would see my dad pretty regularly. He and I would talk on the phone. But when you lose a figure like that at 17, one, you don't expect that. Yeah. But then also two, there's a ton of questions that come with that in the sense of what kind of man am I going to be? What type of relationship do I ultimately want to have mm-hmm. with you know, my significant other or, or what have you, even though now nah, I'm single as a dollar bill. So that's not even <laughs> right on the table per se, but you're thinking, but about, you're it. thinking about those yeah, things right. even at right 17. And so there was a bunch of questions that came with that. And in the midst of that, I found myself not only trying to wrap my mind around what life looks like now, not even in the sense of, uh, I don't want to be a statistic, so on and so forth. In the sense of, if you just look at society as, as a whole and the significance that the family plays in society in terms of passing on knowledge, in terms of uh, bringing up children, in terms of instilling values. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an instrumental piece. So that is the, the fundamental piece, I, I, I would argue. And so families are, are, are very important to society. And so when you lose a piece of that, there's a lot of questions that come particularly around just identity. And yeah. particularly when you're trying to form an identity at 17 yeah. and you want to be cool and you want to be seen as, you know, yeah, like I fit in or what have you. And, uh, and, and I, I had a fun time in high school. I was, I was fine. I went to national school of the arts. So I was an arts kid. I was a theater guy and a really? trumpet player. Yeah. No yeah. Way, I didn't I know like, that. So yeah. we're going to we're gonna have to circle back to this yeah, at some point. 100%, but man, yeah. I, I want to sort of continue down this, this path here. So yeah. you, your first theme really being around grief and yes. around that first significant loss and how that sort of plays into your identity and the, and asking big questions. Yep. And I think it's really interesting that you're asking those questions that early because I know in my life, I don't think, 
I don't think, well, that may not be true. I think there were times, but it's always around these heavy moments. It's oh, around these sure. moments of grief, of pain, of something big changing that I didn't foresee coming. Mm-hmm. And then that maybe causes a little instability and then feeling like, oh man, what does that mean for who I am now or, or how I go forward? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because it's a radical shift, right? You go from one minute having this person who, no matter what that relationship looks like or, or is, was probably significant mm-hmm. in, in your life to now not having that. And so there's right. a bunch of reorienting that you have to do. And this was even more exemplified, I would say, in college when I lost a guy who was like a brother to me. His, his name oh, was Ron. Yeah. And, I'm sorry to hear that, man. And I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Yeah. And that one really rocked me because... And this guy was, was, was like a, like I said, he was like a brother. And one of my you know favorite passages in, in, in scripture talks about this relationship between Jonathan and David and how there was a covenant between their souls, uh, between the two. And I don't necessarily know what the extent of their relationship was like or what have you, but yeah, when sure. you have a person that you feel like you can lean on, they mm-hmm. feel like gets you that you can be 100%, especially for, for black men, right? Like that's just, something we don't do and, right. and, and not, not for yeah. necessarily lack of trying. I mean, there's a ton of reasons why that is, but for, for black men specifically, that is not seen as the, as the normative, right? I think it's becoming more of a, of a normative pattern, but for black men to be able to express that love for, for, for one another sure. um, in, in a, in a, in a, in a friendship manner is, is you just don't see that a lot. And so, when I had that, and then all of a sudden, I mean, it was it was sudden. Like we had gone out the night before for um, drinks. We were just hanging out and talking, and uh, ran into some friends of ours, and we were having a conversation with them. And you know, we go back to our residence hall, and then I mean, the next morning, right, wake up and he's gone. Oh man! And so, right, you really start to ask questions around the significance of friendship and relationship and you understand in a different sense the brevity of life when you are faced with the reality of death right and i'm not even necessarily saying that death was on on my doorstep but here's a guy who was in relatively good health and just like that right like he's gone and so it's just a vapor and so you're like oh my gosh uh but it helped me to see not only my, my father passing, but this, 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 this good friend of mine passing, how important friendships are and, yeah. and, and relationships are to our well-being as people. And I would argue that we are designed, we are created to be relational people. Uh, and so when right. people are functioning in, in isolation or when they are, uh, don't have those types of friendships and relationships, not only is that a very lonely and, and depressing place, uh, but I would argue that functioning outside of, 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 of how you were intended to, to, to function as, as people, we are communal yeah. people, we're relational people. Uh, and so when that gets highlighted and magnified, I would argue that at least for me, I begin to appreciate friendships more. And sometimes I still struggle to, to show that, right? There's moments yeah. where you still struggle to show my appreciation for my friends or loved ones or what have you. And in that I'm sincere in, their role in my life and what they bring to the table and how I can serve them. But yeah, you just realize so much more how important friendships and relationships are. And you begin to think differently about them and you begin to try to appreciate and cherish them more because the reality is you never do know. Yeah. 
So it's really interesting to look at that because I remember, you know, the the first person I remember losing was my grandma Mm. and I was a teenager at the point. I I had to have been 16 because I was driving around like an old beat up car at that point. And I remember um, driving that to the funeral, but it felt so far away at that point, like Mm. for, for me personally, uh, when, because she was just in a different stage of life. Right. And and so the loss hurt and there was a lot of grief to process. And then the first time I lost someone, my own age was Mm -hmm. actually after college for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was someone that I had made a lot of music with. So, so I made a lot of music in college. So I had, uh, produced a lot of songs for this friend and, um, it was a similar thing. He was out on a lake and, you know, ended up passing away. Uh, while oh, he was, wow. so it was really so sudden, it, really unexpected. And that one hit different. Yeah. It, because oh, I was, it was the first time I was like, Oh, like the life is short yeah. and, and it could be like that. I'm not guaranteed more time. Yep. And it just hit me with a different realization at that point. And now I, I really relate to what you said about like being able to express your appreciation mm-hmm. and your love for people in, yep. in that time, because I do sense that now I sense more like urgency around really communicating how I truly feel with people. Yes. And sometimes it's hard to uncover that. Like, oh yeah. Sometimes oh, I don't yeah. even know how I feel, but I'm just like, Hey, I just want you to know right. I appreciate you. Right. Yeah. Uh, because it is like life can be really short and you don't know, you just don't know like the, you know, is this our first conversation? Is this our last conversation? Like yep. we, we have no idea. So being present and then really engaging in those conversations and in that present moment in a meaningful way is so important. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I would argue too, right? I was reading an article the other day that was talking about mental health and, and kids today. And it was from, I don't remember what news outlet it was from, but it was talking about how Goldie Hawn was starting up this organization to help address this or, or, or what have you. And the reality of the situation is like, absolutely like that. Yeah. Like, I mean, we, we see cases of, of mental health crisis only steadily increasing. Yeah. And I don't think there's a magic formula or, or bullet for it. I, I'm not a, a certified counselor or, or anything like that, but I would argue at least from my own personal experience and standpoint, one of the issues that we are facing today is, and this is the other theme uh, of, of, of my story, is just a lack of compassion for one another. And so in the midst of that grief and loss and figuring out how to carry the weight of that, because I'm of the mind that you never really get over grief. You just yeah. learn how to carry the baggage yeah. as, as time goes on. And so as you begin to learn how to carry that baggage, and it is a learning process, right? it's a, that's one of the things that fascinates me about our society is, you know, when, whenever you lose somebody, you know, you get three days bereavement or whatever. And, and then you, know, you expect it to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you expect it to, 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 to move on and keep, keep it moving. The reality of the situation is that's not how uh, it, it works. Um, because I would argue that death is not a, a natural part of, of, of the, of the circle of life in a sense. Mm. And so, right. When you have this, uh, anomaly, so to speak occur, um, to be able to just move on from that is, lacks compassion. Uh, and that's not to say that, right, we don't have responsibilities, that we don't have jobs, that we don't need to keep the lights on and so on and so forth. But I, that is to say that there's a sense in which as you are learning how to navigate that, one of the greatest needs that we have in the midst of that is compassion uh, on towards ourselves, 
from others and right to exhibit that towards others uh, in the sense of not only trying to understand what somebody is going through, but working to serve people and meet them where they are in the midst of their needs. And the reality of the situation is I would argue that a lot of times people don't take that approach. It's a lot of, well, what can this person do for me in this moment? We function Mm -hmm. as transactional beings instead of relational beings. And so when that happens, we lose that sense of compassion because now it's no longer about what can this person uh, or, or how can I serve this person and, and be there for them? It's what can this person do for me? And if somebody's not functioning at that level, then, okay, well, we're just going to kind of sort of push them on to the side until they can come back and, you know, they, they're good. Um, but that person's going through a, a traumatic a, a experience. And so I would argue that we have to be more compassionate as people. But with that, too, in terms of cultivating compassion, what I've learned is that you have to be authentic and vulnerable. And those two things are, are different. Uh, I would argue, right, that you're authentic with everybody that you meet and you should present your most authentic self. And sometimes that can be really difficult, particularly, too, if you're entering into spaces that um, might reject that or what have you. But Mm -hmm. the reality of the situation is, is that you're going to show up as you regardless. And so it it behooves you to show up as the most authentic version of yourself. But that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's entitled to vulnerability in the sense of exposing the deepest layers of who you are. But as people, right, we, we need to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. This goes back to my point about us being relational uh, by nature. We as people need to have those folks in our lives that we can be our most vulnerable selves with and that know all of our tea and that are okay with that and willing to sip the tea with us and figure out how we can, you know, if it's some bad tea, all right, how do we brew some new tea so that we can, you know, move <laughs> on and, 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 and become better as, as people. But so so often you find people that don't have those relationships in part because they're really hard to cultivate and they're really hard to find but they are especially as adults i feel oh, like oh 100% a lot a huge portion of the people that i see that have those relationships carried them through childhood um, yeah but it's much harder to let's say you know i'm i'm 33 now yep i'm moving to a new area like finding places to like, cause you can't immediately dive into the most vulnerable layers right. with people yeah. or they're yeah. going to be like, who are you? Right. That's crazy. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Yeah, so so yeah. there's a little bit of a dance to it. Oh, hundred percent. But one of the things that, I, that I'm curious about is, do you think this has been something that has always, it's always been an issue and it's for some reason it's presenting differently now, or do you think that something has maybe shifted that is, is causing more people to struggle with, uh, the feeling like they can authentically express themselves? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And honestly, man, probably one that I don't have a good answer for, right? And in part, I would say that it's something that has plagued us for quite some time as a society. Mm-hmm. Then even too, right, I think about just the different generations and how they handle certain things and right, even how now, right, certain groups of people or what have you will reflect back and say, oh, well, this generation is so soft or this generation. So maybe part of that's true. I think another part of it is that slowing down and becoming more in tune with your emotions uh, and cultivating a deeper emotional intelligence is of a higher priority, maybe in a certain sense, than what it, we've seen from past generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I have a conversation about this, you know, prior to in the sense of it's just different priorities in different time periods, right? Like when you are 
enamored or engaged, right? Like as a, as a society in, let's just say a world war, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so world war one happens, right? There's a period of uh, silence, but then you move into the great depression here, right? And so you get the new deal. And I mean, essentially trying to rescue the economy and really the, the saving grace of it is world war two, right? Because now you get all this economic uptick, right? A lot of production, a lot of focus on war effort, so on and so forth. Right. When you are engaged in that space in 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 mentality, right? A wartime mentality, uh, it's just a different space that you're playing from. And yeah. I mean, some might argue, right? And I don't know, I wasn't alive during the end, right? So this is more or less speculative. But I would argue, right, if that's the space that you're playing in and, and, and where you're coming from, neither good nor bad, it's just a matter of fact. Thinking about your emotions, I don't have time for that. When there's, right. you know, yeah. like yeah. you got, yeah, like this, it's just basic oh, safety first, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And kind of some of it, right? And, yeah. yeah, some of it just goes to psychological principles. Right? It's like, yeah, like I don't, I don't have time to think about how I'm feeling. I'm, I'm trying to survive, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, as a nation, mm-hmm. right? Like if you just look at the, where the United States was at that point in time, like. We're just trying to survive. Uh, yeah. I mean, there was points in the war where it, it go either either way, right? And so it goes how it goes. But then you move into Cold War period. You move into conflicts in um, Korea. You move into uh, conflict in, v- in Vietnam or war effort in Korea and conflict in Vietnam. Then you move into, I mean, all the things that the 60s and 70s bought, not only in terms of racial uh, tension, but then you also get uh, sexual revolution uh, popping up, right? You get, uh, I mean, continued just political strife, right? right? All throughout the 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 sixties is, is intensified in the seventies, then you get into the eighties and right, there's uh, a lot of economic shift and 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 uh positioning that goes into that. And right in the course of the nineties, I mean you get even more um racialized um not only legislation, but I mean all kinds of just strife, uh, yeah. particularly uh, along the lines of um, policing, right, for better or for worse, so on yep. and so forth, right? Yep. It's just the highlights that start to come to bear, right? And then even more so now, um, yeah. right? And so with that too, uh, I mean, you could talk about all kinds of stuff with that. I mean, you could talk about systems, you could talk about um, compassion and, and empathy, right? I mean, there are um, people in this world who, who want to do good uh, along all fronts, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so even within these systems, um, man, there are folks who I think have genuine hearts and, and want to do good. And yet, right, they are simply an element in a system, right, that is full of other people, right, that have relationships with one another and to, right, a, a, a system in and of itself, right, and systems are designed to achieve certain purposes. And so, right, even if you put a cog in that wheel, right, if the you don't work to address and change the relationships, then it's going to continue to perpetuate because systems are ultimately designed to produce a certain function or purpose, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're designed to be self-sustaining and even Correct. to a certain extent resilient. Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, I, I say all that to say, uh, oftentimes what is required um, of people, to, to go back to answer your question, is a, a, a re- really, I, I would argue, a radical act of love. Mm-hmm. Um, we, 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 we would, I would argue that we really struggle with loving one another well. And I think we even struggle with defining what that is. Like when you say, oh yeah, like Brett, man, hey, I appreciate you, man. I, I love you. Thank you for this mm-hmm. opportunity. Yeah. People are just kind of, oh yeah, like, 
okay, cool, whatever. Uh, but when we really slow down and take a moment to think about and reflect, what does it really look like to love somebody else mm-hmm. as, as, I, as, I, as I love myself? To not treat them as what they can do for me or a transaction or what have you, um, but to treat them as a, as a person yeah, it just looks different. That requires much more time. That requires much more intentional investment. That requires actually slowing down and having a conversation <laughs> with the yeah. person. That requires that person to exhibit some level of uh, a vulnerability. Right, not saying you have to just expose here, just bare all per se. Correct. But Correct. you know, there there is a sense in which. We're so prone even now to ask people, you know, say, hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm good. How about yourself? Oh, I'm good. All right. Keep it moving. <laughs> exactly. Meanwhile, exactly. this person's you know, on the verge of complete despair and your know, marriage might be in shambles and kids aren't doing great. And right. They were at the bar last night till 3 a.m. and they have yeah. to get themselves together. Sure, right. And yeah. their response is, oh, yeah, I'm good. It is. that, And that happens all the time. And it's <laughs> such a, yeah. it's such an interesting thing. And one of the things that I'm thinking as you're talking about this, because I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I'm wearing a, a hat about empathy because it's, yeah. I think it's one of the, the, the themes in my life that I've really tried to put to good work in the last mm. year and really tried to challenge myself to like both empathize and sympathize with people. Yep. Um, as they're going through stuff, but also just as they're like having a good day, I, it's really hard to like genuinely connect with people. Oh yeah. And I don't know, I don't fully know why that is, but it just seems so complex to like, to outside of this podcast for me and you to sit down and have a conversation like this. Yeah. It doesn't happen as much as it should. Yeah. I think it should happen much more, but some of the things that come to mind for me is like one, um, you know, loving others as you love yourself. I don't, I don't think a lot of people have a great relationship with themselves. Oh, hundred percent. And so, <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't know that you have to, you know, I don't, and you could argue, maybe you do. I don't know if you have to have a good relationship with yourself to, to really love other people, but I think it does help. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, so I don't know that it's just one of those things that there's just so much complexity in, trying to both define love and then yeah. trying to express love. Yeah. Yeah. It, how would you even define it? So it, it, yeah. that's a big question. No, I'm going to put you on the yeah. spot here. Yeah. yeah. How do you define it? <laughs> no, that's a, that's a great question. Right. So uh, going back to, I think we're the center of who I am. Right. And so I cannot define love apart from my faith and in, in, in Jesus. Right. Because that's ultimately uh, the, the, the center of, of, of my being. And so, right, different people will ultimately answer this question differently based Correct. off of yeah. their core value. Sure. Right? What is it that they value? What is it, right? Like, so um, for the Muslim brother, right, it will, this answer might look a little, little different. Sure. Um, for the Hindu brother, right, for the non-religious person, this, this answer will probably look different. But the only thing that I know to draw off of is scripture and what has been told to me explicitly by what I would argue is the creator of the universe. Sure. Yeah. God, God himself. And so when I look at scripture, you know, everybody always looks at, ah, you know, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son to whoever believes, you know, so now, and then, and then there's other places in scripture mm-hmm. where it talks about love uh, and, and even right. People love to quote Jesus sometimes too. And it's like, you know, no greater love than, you know, somebody has than this, than for a, a person to lay down their life for their friend, a man to lay down his life for, for his friends. But I would argue that 
from scripture, what I gather in the sense of what love is. Well, first of all, you know, and there's a popularized saying, I guess, a while ago, but I would, I would agree with it, right? Love, love is is a is a verb, mm-hmm. yeah, in the sense that it is a communicable action towards someone or something, right? And so, by nature, right, love requires a, a relationship uh, in that, in terms of how I think about its function, and so. Love ultimately is um, a self-sacrificial act of bearing somebody else's burden, caring for them, um, and thinking of them above yourself in order that ultimately they might flourish and function as they're designed to do so. Uh, That's a super loaded definition. That's just off the top of my dome, right? Uh, But... There's a couple, I think, key things in there, right? So I've already mentioned just the the fact of by nature, it requires a relationship uh, and we're all in, in relationship with one another, right? The, the extent of that relationship will vary, right? But just by, I would argue by our, our mere existence, right? We have some semblance of a, of a, of a, of a, of a, of a relationship, but the intent also matters in the sense of this is a relationship that is self-sacrificial and that is sacrificing, that is othering in a sense, in a, in a positive sense, right? Because you can other in a negative sense. This othering in, in, a, in a positive sense that moves towards the betterment of your fellow neighbor, right? And mm. to see them flourish and thrive and ultimately, right, with the end of seeing them function as they should, right? Which I would argue for me, right, for 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 people who would say they're they're Christian. And even I would argue to it to an extent, humanity as a whole designed to, to glorify God. But in that, right, there is a sense in which and I think a lot of times in Christian circles, we don't like to talk about this idea of flourishing and we feel as if this is too general or too broad or, or what have you. The reality of the situation is when you talk about living with somebody, living alongside someone who has vastly different beliefs than you, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, mm-hmm. like I would say Jesus is, is my everything. Jesus is the center. But for somebody who rejects that idea, well, what does it still look like for us to get along and work together? What does it still look like? Right. And so there does have to be a common sort of base level theme, so to speak, and understanding of how do I work with this person? How do I live in a peaceful way towards this person? How do we plant roots, so to speak, together so that we ultimately seek the welfare of the city? Yeah. Mm, to, to borrow from Jeremiah. 29 so that we ultimately work together for the good of one another so that my fellow neighbor can flourish. Right. And so that's not necessarily to say that as, as, as Christians, right. We don't uh, account for sin, right. We don't talk about sin. We're not open about thinking about sin, which I'm defining that as, is basically wrongdoing towards God, right. He's he's given us um, these, these, the, the, the precepts and the laws and how things should function. Right. And so when we're disobedient to that, uh, that's, that's what I mean by sin, but And so I'm not saying that we don't have those hard conversations with people or what have you. But what I am saying is that at the end of the day, right, this is even in Ronald McDonald House Charities. So which is my current employer, we are I identify as secular, right? We don't have a, a religious affiliation or anything like that. And so there are people that walk through the doors that will have vastly different beliefs mm-hmm. than what I do. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, they are there because they're experiencing a medical crisis. 
And so for me, right, I'm not going in and be like, hey, have you heard about Jesus? Hey, do you know? Right. <laughs> I'm yeah. going in and yeah. saying, what do you need in mm-hmm. this moment? Mm-hmm. How can I meet you in the midst of that? Right. And so for me, it's a little different because I'm over community engagement, I'm vice president of community engagement. And so I'm over volunteerism and then partnering with our McDonald's owner operators uh, yeah. for philanthropy efforts in the stores. And so I don't necessarily have as much frontline interaction sure. with our families as some of our other staff members will. But the reality of the situation is that we ultimately exist, yes, to keep families together. Mm -hmm. But in that, that has to be motivated and driven, I would argue, by compassion and love for our fellow person. Mm -hmm. Because they're coming through the door in anguish, in angst. They got more problems than they do answers. And in the midst of that, they just need a little bit of love. They yeah. need us to, I mean, not, not not to discredit or to to discount what we might be going through personally, but that's just to say somebody is walking through our doors expecting to receive a service. And right now they're not really flourishing. They've got right. all kinds. Of, I mean, their kid is it for us right in Chattanooga with 85% of the folks that stay with us have premature babies and 15% are experiencing some kind of accident, trauma, whatever the case might be. It could be motorcycle, wow. could be car, could be gunshot wound, whatever the case yeah. might be. Wow. And so they're there for some kind of trauma response, trauma triage. And so these are families that are coming through our door just in need of a little bit of loving, in need of knowing that someone is there to care for them, to handle the basic necessities, where they're going to sleep, we provide a meal every night for families so they don't wow. have to worry about what they're going to eat that it's night. Amazing. And many of the right Ronald McDonald house charities, Nashville, right. Then does the, does the, does the same thing right now. They're not open for, for volunteers, but same thing. Right. And I was just there yesterday. And I mean, their operation, great 36 bedrooms. Many of the patients are outpatient. Right. And so mm-hmm. they're taking steps to care for these families. Well, Birmingham, which is also in our little uh, co-op unit, they have, I think, 73 bedrooms and wow. like three rooms in, inside their family room, which is inside the hospital. And so all these operations, I mean, Ron McDonald House Charities as a whole is a global organization, over 380 chapters globally. Yeah. Ultimately with the mission, yeah, sure, of keeping families together. But I would argue it's deeper than that. It yeah. is loving families through or in the midst of one of the most difficult times in order that we might give them some semblance of wholeness. Mm. And that can be difficult, right? Because what do you mean by that? What does that look like? Because the reality of the situation is not every family that walks through the door is going to walk out with their kid. Right. There will be families that will come to stay with us in Chattanooga, in Nashville, Birmingham, Atlanta, wherever, Memphis, Knoxville, that will come to us. They'll have a sick kid and that kid will not leave the hospital. We hope that's not the case, but that is the reality of, of life. Right. And yeah. so the time back earlier, it's like, man, when you experience that grief, like what, what does that look like? How do you, how do you bear that? Well, mm. and I would require, I would say that in those moments, it could look a million different ways. It could yeah. look like an embrace. It could look like giving somebody space. Mm-hmm. It could look like offering somebody a bottle of water. Yeah. <laughs> it could yeah. look like right helping somebody pack their bags in silence. It could look like, I mean, I don't know, right? Like the, but the reality of the situation is I think being there for that person, extending yourself in such a way as to say, hey, right now, like you need to be loved on. I need to make less of me so that I can make more of you in this mm-hmm. moment um, and move you right towards 
a sense of flourishing and thriving at whatever pace that might look like. Because like I said, mm-hmm. grieving is, is a process and you learn how to carry that. But in that moment, if you can exhibit a little bit of compassion, that means the world to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's coworkers of mine that share because I've only been at the Ronald McDonald House Charities now for about a little over two months. And my coworkers share the story. They're like, yeah, I've seen folks cry over a granola bar. Just wow. the sense of somebody thought enough to meet me where I am in this moment, meet this need, right? Like, and that's, you're like, what a granola bar? Like that, I mean, okay. The reality of the situation is when you got all this other stuff happening in life, the fact that this thing, whatever that thing might represent for that person in that moment mattered that much, like that's invaluable. Yeah, it is. And when you can create those moments, this is what we're talking about, right? I mean, life is ultimately made up of millions, if not billions of little moments. And typically right. we like to think right. of, think of the, the, the macro you're like, Oh, okay. Well, what am I going to do in my twenties? What am I going to do in my thirties? What right. am I going to do in my forties? Yep. Right. Yeah. And like, yeah. I should be at X, Y, Z place at uh, X, Y, Z time. But the reality of the situation is we wake up, we have 24 hours, each and every one of us, we have 365 days, we have, I don't know, however many minutes is in a day, right? How we make use of those little moments, right? Those ticking seconds ultimately compounds mm-hmm. to produce whatever, right? And, and so in those little minute moments that maybe people feel like, ah, okay, whatever, this is two minutes. This feels like an inconvenience. But for somebody else, those two minutes could be the most monumental thing that happened in their entire day. Yeah. It's powerful. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, right. And, and, and that's what I, that's what I mean when I say, Hey, we've got to do a better job. I would argue societally speaking, um, as a whole. So I think there are people out there that do this well, right? There's people in, in every field that, that, that do this well, there's doctors, lawyers, police, firefighter, whatever the case might be that, that do this well, but as a whole, we don't do this. We're enamored with immediate gratification with the quickness of society, right? How is mm-hmm. it? Where, where can I put my money? Where can I put a thousand dollars a day so that I get $10,000 tomorrow? <laughs> like, you know, but yeah, there's this, there's uh like in a grandma, uh, like we, we, re- we make really grand these kind of like mountaintop Instagram photo oh, 100%. type moments and sort of neglect to put into perspective that, 99% of our life is the stuff that doesn't happen on that Instagram post. Yeah, yeah. And that that stuff is going to matter far, far more than the stuff that makes a really cool picture. But yeah. those things are, those things are great. And like, personally, I've really struggled with mental health um, over the past 18 months or so. And I've really been like on sort of the up swing yeah. over the past, like six to 12 months. But for a while there it was, it was really hard to find like good moments. Mm. And it was a lot of perception for me, right? It was yeah. like the perception of my own reality wasn't accurate. Yeah. And I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't see the good moments that were right there in front of me every single day. Yeah. And so there, I couldn't appreciate those and coming out of that. Now what's changed for me is that like when there are moments that are good, when I'm connecting well with another human being and I'm feeling seen and I feel like I'm seeing them like yeah. that, that's a beautiful moment. And I now have this appreciation for it that I never, I never could have had without that experience where I'm like, man, when life is good, like it doesn't always stay good. Mm-hmm. So you have to cherish <laughs> like those times. And then yep. when it's not those little moments where it's good, 
that's like, you know, sunlight peeking through the window of a dark room. Yo, it's just yeah. like, oh my gosh, there's light outside. Like I, sometimes you forget, yeah. you know, in those, in those really difficult times. So I think you're spot on with sort of framing that like these little moments of just like seeing someone and seeing who they are and the, the pain that maybe in that moment experiencing for them. And then just saying like, I see you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it works the other way too, right? Like, there's senses in which we need to grieve with those who are grieving and rejoice with those who, who are rejoicing. And that is the, the, the cyclical nature of, of life. So mm-hmm. to, so to speak, right. There will yeah. always be moments where you'll be in the mountaintop rejoicing. Like things are going great. Like I'm making the money that I thought I would make. I got the right. title that I thought, right. right. I'm yeah. driving yeah. the car that I want to drive. Yeah. I got the house. I got yeah. the, 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 the girl or the guy or whatever. And right. Like this, those moments. And then there's moments where it swings the other way. And you're like, I, I don't want to turn to the left or to the right right now because I don't know what's going to hit me in the face next. (laughs) And for me, like the crazy thing was like my, so my darkest time came when I actually, like when I had fulfilled pretty much everything that I wanted to. Yeah. Like I I hit this point where I was like, I've got a beautiful family. I've got beautiful kids. I've got the most amazing wife. I've got a great job, a great title. I'm doing something that I love. Yeah. And, and there was this point where I was like, okay, it didn't, it didn't fix anything, Mm. right? It didn't fix the things that I thought it would fix. Yeah. Uh, because all the work that I needed to do was it was inner work. It wasn't like none of these external things fix your inner world. Oh, hundred percent. And so when you're focused on like, uh, it's an easy distraction to like chase those things because there is, there's a lot of fun and allurement in like the pursuit of like the pursuit of happiness. Right. (laughs) When you get the things you thought that would give you the happiness and then you realize like, Oh wait, like I still feel like I felt before. It's just now I have the things that I wanted to have, but it didn't fix anything. That's a, it's a really interesting moment. Oh yeah. That it started a spiral for me. That was really hard to like, it was really hard to get out of. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's so interesting. And you, you mentioned that because that is the reality that a lot of us tend to, tend to live in, right? We, we, we love to chase. And that's really, I would argue what a lot of that stuff is the material stuff. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, people say it all the time. You can't take that stuff with you, but it's true. Yeah, it is. You're not going to, you know, your 30,000 square foot house is not going to be buried with you. Exactly. Six feet under. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And nothing wrong with a 30,000. If you got that, awesome. Great. Yeah. Invite us over for a party. Uh, <laughs> right. But the reality of the situation is you, you can't take those things with you. And so what is it that one values the most? Right. Where is it ultimately that one's identity lies? And that's a question that everybody has to answer. Yeah. And so for me, right, I found that ultimate fulfillment. And Jesus, right? And somebody, somebody else, right, could answer that question a, a million different ways and we could have that conversation or, or what have you, what that looks like. But that's a question that everybody everybody has to answer because the, the yeah. external stuff, and that stuff comes and goes. And this is one of the reasons too why for me on a slightly less granular level, when I came out of college, I got some really good advice from a mentor of mine at the time. He was the CEO of a company called Playcore. And I was sitting with him and I was 22 at the time. I was coming out of college. I was going to be debt free coming out of college. I was, oh man, that's incredible. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, that's, I, 
three degrees all debt free man that's yeah that's unbelievable <laughs> i have i have two degrees and a mountain of debt that's, so, hey, nah, yeah, i'm that, all about scheming the system you got to figure I, out how to move to get that's it yeah. awesome yeah, yeah, yeah nah, i appreciate that yeah. yeah and so he was saying at the time he's like you don't have to pick something to do for the rest of your life you're like you're young you got you know time ahead of you it's great advice. Yeah. He's like, pick something to do for the next three years. Mm. He's like, commit to it. If you don't like it, pivot. And I was like, hmm, this is why you are the CEO of this multimedia. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, that's what I did. Folks would always tell me, they were like, hey, you know, it's a lot harder to go back to school once you start getting out, trying to have a family, start making money, so on and so forth. I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to take my 20s. And I come from a lineage of educators. So my mom, she was a school teacher for 30 something years. My grandma- sure. She taught school for forever and a day. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to take my 20s to get all the education I want. Mm. Because I come to understand money was important. Uh, money ultimately, right, is used to, 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 to buy other things, right? And you say money doesn't buy happiness. And in, in large part, that's true. Right? Money mm-hmm. can put you in a position to enjoy life a little bit better, right? I, but, I think that's very true. Yeah, uh, I think it's very true. Uh, but, you know, the reality of the situation that I discovered was like, man, money comes and goes. People lose tons of money overnight. They make tons of money overnight. Right. Uh, and we could see that with some of our most recent examples of, yeah, <laughs> not only in the banking industry, but yeah. in other, other yeah. industries, right? Uh, and yeah. so I said, you know what? I'm going to invest in me and I'm going to go get all the education that I want in my twenties because like I said, money can come and go, but education is a lot harder for people. Nobody can really take that from you. And so I decided to invest in me to invest in my faith. I went to seminary uh, for four years up in Louisville, Kentucky. And then I decided to come get an MBA. Eventually I want to pastor at some point just maybe bivocationally or whatever. But I said, there's a lot of churches out there that have good preaching, but they can't really run themselves. I don't want to be an executive pastor necessarily, yeah, yeah. but I do there at are. least want to yeah. have, you know, uh, bring something to the table that complemented. So I have my undergraduate is in marketing and entrepreneurship. Then I have this master of arts in theological studies. Then I have a master's of business, business administration and combined, right. Those things have been really impactful for me because not only have they given me a much more solid foundation to work from in terms of the sphere, not only the work that I'm doing now, but work that I've done prior. And I'm sure whatever might be coming my way, those things have helped set me up on a good firm foundation. Uh, and like I said, for me, education was important, but for other people, right. Go to trade school, go, right. Like just yeah. make sure you finish high school, but like yeah. not yeah. college is not for everybody. And yeah. this is coming from a guy who eventually uh, jokes on me because I thought I wanted to get uh, all the education by the time I was 30, but I think I want to go get a PhD in strategy and entrepreneurship. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And eventually, so this ties back to man wanting to not only, I think, see wholeness and people flourishing, but during the pandemic, and so this is kind of to your point earlier about when you have all this external stuff going on and you've got, you're trying to chase titles or money or whatever, and you've got these distractions, so to speak, and you don't have to do the internal work. Yeah. We as a nation were at that point, you know, in, during, during, during the pandemic and you right. had, you know, George Floyd, your Breonna Taylor, your uh, yeah. Ahmaud Arbery, which was super impactful for me because yeah. I was a, a, a runner. And so I'm like, dang, like, 
Yo, could have been. Yeah. <laughs> like you never do know. And that's yeah. the that's the ugliness of, of racism is the radical uh, I, I would say the 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 radical randomness of it. You never do know when, yeah. when it, you, you get used to the microaggressions or what have you, but you, you stumble into a town or whatever. It's like, yeah. yeah, you never you never do know. It's funny, I was reading a thread on Twitter the other day. I was talking about sundown towns. And you know, if folks don't know what a sundown town is, it's yeah. where back in the day. I say back in the day, but we're towns where black folks were encouraged to not let the sun set on them. Otherwise, yeah, you know, what could it mean? Yeah. And so it was funny. This was just a year ago. A guy was talking about his experience in a small town in Texas. And mm-hmm. that is still to this day considered still, a yeah. sundown, right? And, and so they're out there. Yeah, they, yeah. they are. Like I, I, yeah. I uh, just recently lived in East Tennessee and for the most part, people there are really, really great people and really friendly, but there's still towns there that are sundown towns. Yeah. And uh, absolutely. Yeah. And for me, it was, I grew up like not having a good understanding of the social issues that our mm. country was going through. So yep. I, my only real understanding of like what racism was, was like, it was very surface level. Mm. And so I didn't realize like my own internalized racism. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. so these, these events over the past oh, three, four years now, and it's hard to believe it's been that long since right. some of these, because they feel yeah. like yesterday, those yep. were wake up calls for me to be like, Oh no, this stuff, this is, I don't know why those yeah. were the first events for me that I was like, I, I see this as a problem now. Yeah. And this is something that we absolutely need to be talking about yeah. and addressing. Um, but then it was also like conversations with friends that really opened my eyes to the fact that like, Oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be putting the burden of learning about Mm. racism on my friends who happen to be black and constantly barraging them with questions. And luckily I did have like two or three friends that really helped like bring to light a lot of my own issues and Mm. in the ways that I was thinking. And because there was a moment where I was like, you know, internally like no i'm not i'm not a racist person and it's not it's not that black and white right yeah like it's not that easy and so these events have been really transformative for me and it's totally changed my perception of how i think about things like racism to now a curiosity Mm. and and to a willingness to learn yeah a willingness to hear a willingness to rethink and then after a new understanding, a willingness to go out and take action yeah. on, uh, and to just be a part of the conversation actively. Yeah. So important. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's, man, it's funny because so I was having a bunch of conversations and I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you didn't necessarily put that onus on your <laughs> black friends. Uh, and I did it's initially. Like- and, and one of my friends corrected me. He's like, Hey, this, he's like, I, I'll answer questions, but he's like, it's not my yeah. job to teach you about the history of racism in America. <laughs> right. He's like, yeah. he gave me like two or three books. He's like, go check out these books. And you know, yeah. and I was like, you're okay. right. I don't yeah. know. I don't know why I just assumed that, you know, right. Going and asking questions would, would make things better. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's better than doing nothing. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, Learning is so instrumental, right? Particularly too, if you know, and, and, and a lot of times people get fascinated with what can, what can we do? What, what do yeah. we, what do we do? Yeah, what, yeah, what can, yeah. How do we, what do we do? And you know, some people agree, some people disagree. The reality yeah. of the situation is the way I look at it. I'm like reading, having conversations, learning like that is doing something. It might it not feel like you, because we love these big splash moments, right? We love the Instagrammable moments. That's like, right. Oh, look That's at right. what I did to transform exactly. this community. Exactly. And like the reality is, the people that are actually doing that work 
have spent years not only like learning about themselves and investing in in themselves and maybe have experienced some things that have helped them do that. Um, mm. And and a lot of times, sure, you know, people will look to your black leaders or other minority or ethnic groups to lead these efforts and so on and so forth and to help transform their communities. Right? And which there's a, there's a certain degree in which absolutely that's, that's good and fine and true and dandy. But the reality is it, it, it takes all of us. And it so, does. right. Yeah. Sure. There's leaders that have a significant head start, but that doesn't mean that you can't start. Right. <laughs> and that yeah. you shouldn't start. Right. Yeah. And then a lot of times that process starts by learning. So we never stop learning. If you stop learning then I argue you stop dying. I mean, you start dying, right. <laughs> you yeah. stop cause you stop yeah. growing. That's right. Uh, and but so it, and yeah. it's easy. It's, and I'm sorry, I don't know, oh, right, but it's you easy did. to isolate learning to different parts of our lives. Right. Mm-hmm. And to say like in this area, I'm willing to learn, but in this area, I'm oh, not yeah. because I think I already know. Yep. And that's what becomes problematic. And I've seen that with some of my friends, um, over the past several years where it, there's just no willingness to even have a conversation or acknowledge there, there may be an issue. Yep. And I think that's where it's problematic because you lose empathy. You lose, uh, we've talked about love. We've talked about empathy. We've talked yep. about connection and all of those things. Like you can't think of like racism as one person's story, Oh right, uh, which yeah. is, which is also easy to do that. Like not everyone has the same perspective or the same story on it. Yep. And if we try to like box people into like, Oh, this is going to be your perspective on racism. We lose our ability to connect. And for me to learn now from you, AJ, in this conversation about like what's going on in your world and how are you feeling and how can we actually take a next step forward together? Yeah. Yeah. And I'd argue part of that too is we just, we just love simplicity. And so we want to try to whittle it down to the most simple understanding that we can get so we can move on. Right. But the reality is when you're talking about not only racism, but I mean, any kind of ism or, or what have you, or any, just even, even in business, right? Like we like to try to narrow it down. And there's a certain extent in which like business is simple. There's a whole other entire extent where like doing business well is like pretty complex. Yeah. Which is why the majority of new startups and so on and so forth fail. That's right. Um, because right, like you, it's hard. It is hard. <laughs> like, right? yeah. like relationships are hard. Doing business is hard. Like people are hard. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. when, when, when literally life is full of hard things, we try to weed out and narrow down. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying this is typically how people function. What is the most simplistic way that I can understand this? So that I can wrap my mind around it and and move on. And there's a sense in which, yeah, we need to wrap our minds around it simultaneously, right? We also need not neglect the complexity of not only issues within society, but of people. Um, Because even too, right? Like as a, as a, as a black man, right? The onus sometimes gets placed on, particularly if I'm if I'm in spaces that where I'm the only one. And it's like, oh, yeah. well, like what do black people think? And you, you know, like right. you get the idea, yeah. like, it's, well, I am an individual that yeah. grew up middle class in like North ish Nashville that mm-hmm. you know went to an arts high school that I had to audition to get into, right? So I wasn't in a public school, and then I went to UTC and got a bunch of scholarship money, and so there that was a you know PWI, right? I didn't choose to go to HBCU, uh, right? And so that's a different type of experience. And so like I'm, I'm one person. And even though I understand systems to a certain extent and how systems work and right, like there's a certain level of, um, for lack of a better way to put it, um, consistency, I'd say, or, you know, a general consensus, that's what I'm looking at, general consensus about how things are are structured or, or what have you. The reality of the situation is 
my circumstance looks entirely different than let's just say, you know, Robert Smith, who's, you know, multi billion dollar, right. Versus who, you know, which looks different than, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, Rob Jones. Yeah. I'm just making (laughs) up a name. Right. You know, or whatever. And so there's, there's a, there's a sense in which, okay, sure. There's a common thread because we're all people. Right. And so you can generalize certain experiences. Sure. Uh, simultaneously, you have to keep the understanding that, also individuals that have been shaped by experiences and right what we've done to do the work in terms of our own self-reflection and self-awareness and where we are in our different stories and journeys. And, and it's funny because Harvard recently, or there was this thing I saw on LinkedIn the other day that was talking about the number one skill, the value, the employer's value. And it was like self-awareness or what have you. And yeah. it was like, you know, that's, that's yeah. part of the journey, not only in terms of your value to a company and, Build, helping to build a, a company or brand or, you know, make something profitable or whatever the case might be, but also too in your individual relationships. Like, you know, the, the more work you do to figure out your why, essentially, figure out what is it that you value um, intrinsically, then, right, you're better positioned, I would argue, to love people well because not only now yeah. you're more secure in, in who you are you're more confident in, in who yeah. you are you understand what your strengths are where your weaknesses are what spaces you need to play in what spaces you don't need to play in and this was kind of the reflection that we were doing as a as a country right when you had the yeah. George Floyd thing and there yeah. were there weren't there weren't these distractions and so there's a lot of undoing and now right we back to sports and other things right yeah. that, get, yeah. that can get us distracted it, yeah. it, it is what it is that's the the nature of the game. But I say all that to say uh, in terms of my journey and like education, one of the ways in which I see a way forward for healing broken communities is through uh, economic empowerment. And I don't necessarily yeah. need a PhD to like be engaged in, in that type of work or what have you. I think a PhD is helpful in some ways and can lend itself to credibility in some ways. But uh, the, the the reality of the situation is it's like, man, I love education. Um, college is is changing. It, it needs to change. Yeah, um, but as with any large institution like that, you know, it changes resistant to change. Um, but two of the business professors in the United States, I'm going to say roughly three percent mm, look like me are, are black. Yeah, <laughs> and I wow. think even the smaller percentage yeah. are, are black men. And wow. so not only for our students coming up in the game, trying to just help them understand good business and uh, practices there, but also how to do business well and how to do business with compassion, really taking a a customer centric focus. And then you kind of sort of see some of this starting to come up with, you know, user experience design. And so, you know, UX thinking and and innovative thinking and stuff like that. But even too, with the work that we do at Ronald McDonald House Charities, it's like, man, the future of medicine is really family-centered care. Our vice president yeah. of, of family services says it all the time. She's like, man, that's that's where medicine's going. And so you are seeing a shift to really, how is it that we can be more people-centric mm-hmm. in the way we, we do business? And in order yeah. to be able to think like that and operate like that, you have to be full of compassion. Um, you have to be full of empathy and understanding people that are around you. Uh, And this trickles down into every aspect of, 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 of business. Um, because you're not going to look at your finances the same. You're not going to, uh, do accounting the same HR, especially like a lot of times people think HR is the bad guys they're the police that you want to just keep, keep the company out of, out of a lawsuit, which is part and parcel, right? A part of HR's functions, but also too, right? I mean, it's, literally in the title, human resources. And so there's a sense in which if that is really where companies are wanting to go, 
like it's going to impact your entire business and how you think about the function of that business, yeah. the, 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 the purpose of it. Uh, and so even for us, right at Ronald McDonald house charities, that's meaningful and impactful because the essence of who we are and what we do is centered around people. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so like we, we have to live in that space. Um, and I encourage people, right. Who want to check us out, like go visit, you know, your local Ronald McDonald house charities website. If there is one, if you want to get involved, like volunteer, if you're listening to this and you're in Chattanooga, like email me, my information on the website, rmhchattanooga.com. Like, and I'll, I'll put that um, in the show notes yeah, as well, because yeah. we do have, we've got a good listenership around, you know, Chattanooga. It sounds like there's not a volunteer opportunity here in Nashville. Yeah. But, not right now. It's coming. Um, yep. It's coming. Cool. Yep. So I'll be sure to get that opportunity out there yeah. because I do want people to have a chance to get involved and to, to give back. Yeah. And, um, before we get too much further, I also, I just want to thank you for sort of your vulnerability and transparency, yeah, because absolutely. I know it's not easy to, to share some of the things that you're sharing, but I also think it does, it puts such a, a great light on, um, some of the issues that we're talking about and yeah. how we could change. Like, I'm excited just hearing you talk. You're inspiring me to like, you know, what could I we do it. if we involve more empathy? What could we do if we have more compassion um, yeah. in the workplace, in everyday life, in our friendships, more vulnerability? So just want to thank you, man, for the things that you've shared so far and yeah. for having vulnerability to to put those things out there. Uh, absolutely, man. I appreciate this opportunity to just to come and have a conversation. I know we kind of sort of bounced all around this. And so we did. That's, that's, yeah. that's not abnormal yeah. for me though. So yeah. I feel like no, people, hey. people listening are probably used to me, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of wandering all over the place. Um, but I think that's one of the things that I enjoy about having a podcast that the theme is really broad, like impact. Yeah. You don't have to focus on just one thing. Impact can go, it can take a lot of forms and it can have a lot of, directions and ways that yep. it manifests in people's life. And I think the way that it's manifesting in yours is particularly powerful. And um, so I'd love to hear a little more about as we're, you know, we're, we're kind of coming up on an hour here. And sure. um, so I do want to be respectful of, of your time as well, but um, I, I want to hear how are you mobilizing your impact right now? So what are the ways that you're taking all these lessons, grief, compassion, empathy, love, vulnerability? How are you putting that to, to good work right now in your life? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And so it's interesting because for me, I'm at somewhat of a, an interesting point in my life. I wouldn't say it's, it's a, not a crossroads, but I stretch of the imagination. It just looks different from what it's historically been like, because for the last you know, eight years or so I've chased school. Um, it's been yeah. the, the degrees that, I, that I've been after. And so now I've shifted to where I can start to think about more of, yeah, what does my impact look like? What do I, what do I want to do? Uh, what do I want to be when I grow up? And so in my current role, I'm able to work with people to galvanize support for a group of folks that can so easily be forgotten about. Yeah. In the sense of, we don't think about housing for those who need healthcare mm -hmm. uh, who, or, or, or for families, right? For, for this, really, because that's what it is. It's for families of those who need healthcare. And like I said, the majority of folks that come to stay with us in Chattanooga have premature babies. Yeah. And for us, our operation is reliant upon volunteerism in the sense of, so we have the house and then there is, we also have a family room. And yeah. for uh, folks who don't know what a family room is, uh, they're at 
typically hospitals that are partnered with Ronald McDonald House charities. Uh, not not all of them will have have them, but a lot of them will. Uh, the majority will. And for us, I like to tell people. Think of it like a Delta Sky Lounge mixed with Grandma's house inside of a hospital. Uh, minus the alcohol. Love, There's no, yeah, no open bar in our, in our family room uh, or any in any family room. But uh, yeah, and so you got you know living room space. People can go charge their device. They can go grab a meal for free. They can go get a cup of coffee. They can wash clothes. They can take a shower. I mean, it's for folks who are virtually living in the hospital. Right? So a caregiver's oasis. We have a staff person there from three to nine, Monday through uh, Sunday. But if there's not a volunteer there to staff that room, to, to man it. So that room is supposed to be open from 9, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. But if there's that gap from nine to three, like that room's not open or there's no volunteer, then that room is not open. Oh, wow. And so... It's funny because I was over there the other day with a potential volunteer and the room, people know that there's for sure going to be somebody there at three o'clock, right at three o'clock. And there's this family that comes down, they got their bag of clothes ready to like wash and I'm sure they're probably going to get something to drink or whatever. And so it's important for us to have volunteers, to have people to staff that room. And then at the house, you know, it's important for us to have volunteers to work the front desk because those are the first faces that not only other volunteers, but families will see and will encounter. And so our operation really can't run like it should if we don't have volunteers and then volunteers will come to do adopt a meals, which is, and it's different. Some, some people say share a meal, whatever, but basically where you come and you prepare a meal uh, every or come prepare a meal uh, at night for a family. And so groups oh, are wow, typically yeah. around, arrive around four, four thirty or so. They'll make their meal, they'll plate it. And then dinner is ready to go by six o'clock every night. That's awesome. And so, yeah. you know, I mean, if you just do the simple math, that's over 21, close to 22,000 meals minimum wow. that we serve every year. And so, wow. you know, and, and sometimes it's more than that because people can do breakfast or, or lunch or what have you. And so, our operation relies so much on volunteers. And so I think for me, the opportunity to be able to mobilize people, to mm-hmm. impact people in the smallest of ways, like we were mentioning earlier. Yeah. Okay. You might've given two hours to come cook a meal and, you know, next week, two weeks, a month, you'll probably forget about it, but that family won't. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, yeah. they, they remember, I mean, and you know, you talk to people all the time. I was in, uh, office the other day and there's a lady who come in with her baby for a checkup and she was just so appreciative of her time at the house and the ability to be able to stay there and there's people that come and they have no idea that we exist but for us to be able to be a resource uh, for people, I'm, I tell people we're like insurance. We, you know, <laughs> you, yeah. you hope you never have to use it, but then yeah. the event that you do, you're glad that we're there. And so for me, right, I think being able to work with people, to mobilize people, um, to be able to impact families, even in the slightest of ways, for right now, is how I'm seeking to make an impact. And then there's other community work that I'm doing. I'm involved with, we have a Chattanooga football club. And so there's a foundation, so CFC Foundation. And a part of one of the programs under the foundation is a organization called Chattanooga Sports Ministries. And so they seek to mobilize really um, what well, would just garner support. And it's a, it's a program. I put it like this. It's a program 
for um, kids to engage in in, in soccer. And so oh, cool. um, they'll come, they teach kids soccer skills, but really with the ultimate goal of helping to just cultivate and helping to create in some small way, um, better, more whole, healthy communities. Um, and so, awesome. yeah, so I'm, I'm, in, I'm involved um, with that, just helping kind of on, on the side um, with game days or practices or, or what have you. And so, you know, I get to interact with little hard headed kids all the time and try to, you know, be a small semblance of light. But then, I mean, also to discipline. It's like, you ain't going to come in here and act in any kind of way you want to. Like, yeah. you, you know, yeah. you're going to come yeah. into this space in this environment, which is huge because, I mean, when you... Yeah. When more is placed on you at an earlier age than what is necessary, right? And so particularly, and it is not the case generally, generally, right? Fathers are present in, in black households. There's a misconception out there. But for a lot of households, that's not the case. Yeah. And so, right, when a child has more expectation placed on them early on, that creates um, all kinds of dysfunction. It does. And so- yeah kids right when they get outside of that space because in the home they're expected to have you know have it have it together and so right when you get outside of that space yeah you're gonna act a fool but yeah. <laughs> right yeah. like you're not allowed it's to be a kid in the sense kind of right? yeah be a kid and let yeah. loose and, yeah. yeah yeah uh and so yeah there's a lot of healing that comes with that but ultimately too right I, like i said this draws back to um what i'd love to do is start a young entrepreneurs program at some point in life to teach kids super basic skills of business. Like, I love that idea. Just, Hey, here's a super simple income statement. Here's a super simple balance sheet. Here are the basic principles of marketing. And I'm not even talking like four P's. I know the four P's are controversial. I would argue they are foundational still to marketing. I, I, <laughs> I do too, actually. Right? Yeah, I agree with yeah. That. yeah. Uh, but I know people like to knock it on LinkedIn and other platforms. But the reality is, the four P's are the four P's. Yeah, maybe reason. you like reskin it. You call yeah, it something yeah, else, and you yeah, make it like a more modern yeah, title. But yeah. the principles still are true. Yeah, yeah. And now I think it's expanded to like the seven P's or something like yeah, that. But the reality yeah. of the situation is right. And so not even necessarily teaching kids the four P's, but teaching kids like, hey, here's how you do basic market analysis. Here's how you identify yeah. a target market. Here's how you think about reaching said target market. Here's how you go about um, positioning your business and right, like doing good customer service and then having them start up something, something yeah. super, I mean, it could be a coffee shop, could be, or not a coffee shop, it could be a car wash I mean, it could be a coffee shop, but that's a little bit more involved in terms of distribution and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, so I didn't yeah. you working with little kids. You got inventory yeah. to worry about. Yeah, exactly. Which I mean, could be a good thing it to, could, it could to be, learn. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But that requires a little bit more investment uh, to say like, hey, this energy that you got, like, here's how you can utilize that to do good for you. And knowing, right, not everybody's going to be an entrepreneur or whatever when it's all said and done. That's perfectly fine. But imagine if, right, you have this group of kids um, focused heavily on minoritized communities that have some business savvy about them at 10 years old, right? And so now you're producing kids that are moving up through the ranks that maybe now have a little bit more interest in business than what they would have. Like I said, not all of them are going to go into entrepreneurship, but maybe a kid gets really piqued by the thought of finance yeah. or accounting, yeah. right? And which, you know, God knows the accounting numbers for black accountants is absolutely abysmal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, but you get them at an early age and you say, oh, wait, I see how I always tell people when I think about accounting, I'm like, it's like a puzzle. There's, there's math involved, but you yeah. got to kind of know where. And so you get a kid interested at nine, 10 years old in this, like imagine the residual impact that that can have on a community wow. in terms of its ability to not only yeah. stabilize 
but generate wealth. Um, Create that generational wealth, create that type of stability um, for a a community, but it has to start early. And so, um, yeah, in addition to research, because they tell people, you know, you you ask, say, hey, you know, what do you want to do? And I say, if I go get a Ph.D., they say, you know, well, don't tell people you want to go teach. You want to go be a researcher. <laughs> so I want to go be a researcher uh, and teach. But um, yeah, yeah. So at the end of the day, yeah, that's that's what it's about for me is figuring out ways to work to help communities flourish and impacting people in those little moments that ultimately end up making a big difference. Sounds like you're already well on the way to doing that, AJ. Uh, I'm excited to see over it. you know the next several months and years. Hopefully, we can stay in touch. I want to yeah, see how yeah, you're continuing definitely. to transform both Chattanooga and the in the world at large through the work that you're doing, man. I'm, yeah, I'm positive you're going to have a big impact. So, um, it's an honor to have you on the show. Yeah. Um, last question for you, man, and then we'll we'll wrap this thing up. Is sure. uh, for someone that's just starting out uh, on their journey, which is sounds like something that you're passionate about, anyways. Yep. But they're not sure where to start. They want to make a big impact in the world, and they they can't really figure out what that first step is. Yeah, you know, where where would you tell them to start? Yeah, so it's funny. So I teach a class um, up at the Gary W. Rollins College of Business, and it's just kind of focused on the foundations of helping set people up for success in college. And we focus on really three different types of capital. So intellectual capital, social capital, personal capital, how to cultivate all these things. For somebody who's just starting out on their journey, trying to figure it out, I would say invest heavily in yourself. And what I mean by that is not only working to become more self-aware, reading books or whatever, but understand who you are as Mm. an individual. Understand what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. Yeah, sure. Take all the assessments. You know, I don't know how people feel about it. if you want to do the Enneagram, Myers Briggs. I, I love whatever, that stuff you know, personally. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, you know, but, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, least. yeah. You know, sure. Take those assessments or whatever. Um, but put yourself in uncomfortable situations to see how you respond, and then you know, that. take note of that. Um, right. I would encourage somebody to generally take a strengths based approach. So, not to say you're not worried. You're not worried that you don't understand your weaknesses, um, but invest more heavily in your strengths and getting really good at that thing. Uh, Right. Uh, And I use the analogy. I'm like a football wide receiver doesn't concern themselves with understanding how to be a guard. Right. Because that's, right. that's not what they are. Right. Like, yeah. and, so, and a guard is not necessarily concerned about running the uh, an entire route tree. Exactly. Right. Like they don't care about that, but yeah. they are concerned about hand technique and footwork and right leverage uh, yeah. in the trenches. Right. Yeah, and right. not to say that a wide receiver doesn't need to understand those things because, you know, you're blocking on the edge or whatever for a run play or what have you. Um, but that's not your world. Right. Like you need to be good at running routes and catching the football. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> like, and yeah. so um, if you're good at running routes and catching the football, like get really good at that. Yeah. Uh, right. And so if you're really good at marketing and marketing analysis or you're really good at understanding people, like get really good at that. Not to say that you don't need to know about these other things or have some idea of kind of how to do them, particularly depending on what you want to do. But understand yourself. Um, mm. Start with you. Develop skills. Develop um, explore your passions. Um, and then from there begin to work out because that will impact everything that'll impact, right. Your social network, where you need to position yourself, uh, in terms of the networking groups you might want to be a part of so on and so forth that will impact what skills you need to learn and develop, right? Like I knew early on, I was not meant to be a doctor, right? So I'm not going to concern myself with 
trying to join medical associations or yeah, understanding right, right anatomy right. and physiology. Yeah. <laughs> That's just, yeah. Not me. Not how I'm yeah. <laughs> Right. And so I would say anybody who's looking to make an impact, understand yourself and never stop that. Like never mm. stop learning about yourself and the world around you. Never stop growing and evolving. Um, because 20 year old me should look different than 30 year old me and 30 year old me probably going to look a lot different than 40 year old me. And that's good. That's good. Uh, that should be how, how it should go. And so always continue, continually get a PhD in self. Man, those are wise words. Yeah. And I think that's I a great place to wrap. Yeah. Um, last question for you is, is really just, Hey, where can people find you? If people are interested in reaching out, saying, yeah. Hey, asking further questions, yeah. where's a good place to do yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Instagram at Alex Davis, 2015 or on LinkedIn, uh, just AJ Davis, uh, I think my LinkedIn is like Alexander J Davis UTC or AJ Davis UTC or something like that. Uh, LinkedIn, but you can also find me on Ronald McDonald house website. So just Perfect. Google, yeah, RMH Chattanooga. And then I'm on the staff page. There. Cool. I'll, I'll link to all that stuff in the show notes for everybody listening. And, uh, AJ, thank you so much for yeah, being on the thank show you, today. Brad. I appreciate it, man. It's a great conversation. This was a good one. I hope yeah. we can do another one. Maybe I, I've got about three or four topics here that I'm like, we could spend a whole episode yeah, on. So maybe we'll, do, maybe we'll do a part two at some point. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Sounds good, man. I appreciate your time. Yeah. Take care. Yep. Bye. And there you have it. My conversation with AJ Davis. AJ, thanks so much for coming on the show today, man. It was such a pleasure to talk to you and to get to share your story and your passion for so many things with the world. I'd also like to thank you, the listener, for taking time to listen to The Impact Code and to listen to AJ's story today. I know that you have many places that you can listen to content and there's a overwhelming amount of content out there. And the fact that you chose to spend some time here with us at the impact code means the world to me. So thank you very much for that. If you did enjoy today's episode, one way that you can help us continue to grow our show reach is by simply clicking the button with the stars on it and giving us a five-star review. So if you did enjoy today's episode, take a few moments and do that before closing your app today. It would help us a ton. Finally, I'd like to thank Tower Community Bank one final time for putting on the impact code. If you did enjoy today's episode, another way for you to support us is by going to towercommunitybank.com, checking out the different accounts, checking out the different things that we offer at Tower Community Bank. And if you see something that does interest you, go ahead and apply. We can open pretty much any type of account online from the comfort of your own home. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you back here for another episode of The Impact Code. Bye.